Would you, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? This morning we're reading from 1 Peter chapter 3, starting verse 13. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it, that you suffer for doing what is right, rather than for doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been having put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And all of God's people said, You may be seated. We have a difficult passage today in some ways. And as I I take a look at it, and there's some verses right there at the end, you notice I didn't read, and we're going to come back to that on another day, because there's some difficult theology even to kind of wrestle in at the end of chapter 3. But today we're going to talk about a very fun subject, and that subject is suffering. It's tough, isn't it? And it's not something we always want to talk about, but we find it in the Scriptures quite a bit, and so we're going to talk about it today. And you'll notice that this is just in the next passages we've covered. We've already talked about suffering several times. We've seen verses that tell us things like, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, that you would follow in His steps. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at these verses, but we're also going to kind of look at 1 Peter as a whole. What has 1 Peter taught us? about suffering. So we're going to jump around in chapter 4 and chapter 5 a little bit later as well. And I do that so that we can kind of consolidate our teaching on suffering. And so after this, I'm going to, there's be some passages that I will skip as we go through it uh, because we're going to cover it today so that we're not talking about suffering every day uh, for the next couple of months, okay? Uh, so as I introduce it today, though, I'd like to start by briefly looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, go ahead and turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. In this text, the Apostle Paul, along with Timothy, Timothy, is addressing the church in Corinth. He's just gone through a time of great difficulty and affliction and suffering, and he wants to make sure that they are aware of what happened to him so that he can explain it to them in the right way. You see, the temptation for them in Corinth would be to hear that, Hey, Paul has been greatly persecuted. He's been put in prison. Maybe we should be ashamed of this. Maybe our God is not as in control as we thought he was. And so he, Paul wants to make sure they understand that's not what is going on. After all, would God allow his apostles to be persecuted? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 says this, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction with, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had, one, had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us 
you also join in helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. We hear in this text, Paul has this struggle. He just has gone through great affliction. By the way, that word means tribulation, trouble, persecution, suffering. All these ideas kind of go into that word. It occurs, by the way, the noun form 45 times in the New Testament. The word affliction, struggle, difficulty, trouble, tribulation, 45 different times just in the noun form. Add in the verb form of that to, under, to, be, to go through afflictions, add another 10 times to it. And that's just one word for suffering. We're not even talking about the word suffering that we find in 1 Peter today. If you begin to add that up, you see it occurs a lot in the New Testament. Well, if something is repeated over and over again, I think it means we need to take it seriously and begin to look at what the New Testament, what the Bible teaches us about suffering. And I point this out for this. Affliction and suffering are normal parts of life that we go through. Paul and the others went through it. Notice that it says they were burdened excessively and beyond their strength. Have you ever had someone tell you God will not give you more than you can handle. You ever been told that? I went to a funeral last Monday and heard that being shared. Now this scripture passage that we just read says we were burdened excessively and beyond our strength. Does that sound like God gave them maybe a little bit more than they could bear? It sounds like he did to me. It said they despaired even of life itself. And if you read through Paul's writings, you realize there were times where they did indeed despair of life. They were perplexed, that they were crushed, that they were really in deep depression at times. And we think, well, well what, what in the world is, does this mean? Because we've been told that, that God will not give us anything like that. Paul says they were burdened beyond their strength. So much they despaired of life itself. They really believed death was imminent. It was coming at any moment. Paul thought it was t- it's time to go home. Now is the time we're going to be with the Lord. They had all of this, all these thoughts in their hearts and their minds. People tell you that God will not burden you beyond what you can bear are well-meaning. They mean to encourage you, but I believe that they are mistaken when we read the Scripture. Because they want to tell you that, listen, suffering isn't normal. It's not part of the life that we go through, right? But it is. And I think often it's quoted like a Bible verse, and so we believe it. But I think what they may be doing, it's a misuse perhaps of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that says this. And it's talking about temptation, but listen to what it says. No temptation has overcome you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with that temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will not be able to endure it. In other words, in that verse, God doesn't tempt us. He doesn't force us to sin. But there is no promise in that verse about a protection from affliction or suffering. Is there? It's, it doesn't say that. It just says, listen, when concerning sin, you can't ever just say, well, I just didn't have a choice. Well, people, I think, under, they want to reinterpret that sometimes. And I think we use those verses to say, listen, suffering's not normal. It shouldn't happen. Again, in verse 9, 
Paul says they went through this and felt that way so they would not trust in themselves, but in the God who raises people from the dead. I think if there's any summation, any way to summarize teaching about suffering, that maybe that's it, that when we go through those moments, all we can do is trust in God to keep his promises and to be faithful, that we may die, but to die is gain. That this life isn't the end of it. And we're going to come back to that idea when we get to 1 Peter uh, chapter 4. But for now, if you're still in 2 Corinthians, go ahead, or 1 Corinthians, go ahead and turn back to 1 Peter chapter 3. Begins again, as we read already, 1 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 13 says, Who dares to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Remember, this teaching in the context is, Listen, there's a lost world out there and even other brothers and sisters that sometimes might persecute you and treat you poorly if you decide to be obedient. Every day we make choices. We decide, are we going to follow Christ or are we going to disobey? Are we going to walk in obedience or are we going to walk away from the Lord? And as it's been presented to us so far, we can choose to live for Christ even if that choice brings about persecution and suffering. We looked at it in the context of submitting to the government. We talked about the workplace. We talked about husbands and wives. Last week was a more general view of this, that, listen, we submit ourselves to things. We, we go through life, but we were called ourselves to not return evil for evil or insult for insult or certainly harm for harm if someone wants to persecute you or treat you wrong. And so verse 13 is simply saying, listen, in general, who's going to harm you for doing what is right? If you say, you know, I'm going to obey the Lord and I'm going to live a righteous life with him, who's going to harm you for that? But then in verse 14, we say, but we we see this, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And the truth is that the people he's writing to went through a lot of suffering. They went through a lot of difficult and hard times. And that was true for them, but he wants them to understand when you go through suffering, when you go through those times, you are still blessed. That is, you still have salvation. You still have, uh, that if you suffer for the sake of righteousness, you still have the salvation of God. You still have his favor and kindness. You still have his love. You are still his children. You have an inheritance in heaven that will never fade. Don't fear those who persecute you, and don't let someone tell you that if you are suffering, it's because you did something wrong, or because you're worth less in the eyes of God than someone else. I have to say, there's this misunderstanding among Christians, right, that that we should, God always wants us to be healthy. He always wants us to have all the desires of our hearts, even if those desires are bad, And we know it in the States is the health and wealth gospel, right? This idea that, listen, if we just have enough faith, we'll never be sick. If we just have enough faith, we won't go through times of difficulty and suffering. How many of you out there have ever been through a time of suffering? You don't even have to raise a hand. How many of you have seen loved ones sick and hurting? Did God love them less because of that? Or did he know Remember Jesus weeping as they mourned Lazarus? Even though he knew Lazarus was coming back. 
But he wept with them and he mourned with them. And in our cases of suffering, God knows where we are. So that even we can say, along with the saints, that if we suffer for the sake of righteousness, we are blessed. And he tells them in the text, do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled. In other words, there's coming a day and a time when we may run into persecution because of the name of Jesus. Now, I think many of us, we've been lulled to sleep a little bit because the, the truth is most of you have, and all of us really have lived in a time in history. It was probably one of the best times and places for Christians to not be persecuted out of all of history, right? We had the, the freedom to come to church the freedom to worship as we want, the freedom to go out in the neighborhoods and to tell others about Jesus. And I think sometimes we begin to believe, well, God doesn't want us to suffer, right? Our whole lives are geared around avoiding suffering. Let's avoid hardship. Nobody wants to go through that. We've had it fairly easy as Christians, perhaps, again, easier than any other time in history. But then we get to this, what do we do if that changes? What do we do if suddenly suffering is part of the will of God even for us? How do we wrestle with that? I think as you get to verse 15, it gives us some suggestions. First of all, we've already saw that we're going to be blessed. We're told not to fear. Do right even if there are consequences for it. But look at verse 15. It begins with this. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you with gentleness and reverence. We'll stop there for a moment. The first thing we have to do today, it says, is sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. And you go, well, what does that mean, Pastor? I don't know what that means. Well, sanctify just means set apart. I want you to set apart Christ as Lord in your heart today. In other words, you determine now, you determine today that Christ is your Lord and that you will follow Him no matter what. You determine that you will follow Christ, come what may, He is the Lord of our hearts. In other words, you can't wait until the day of suffering comes. You can't wait until uh, a family member or somebody else gets upset with you about your Christianity. You can't wait and go, you know what? Today the government said we can no longer teach out of the Bible. Because if you wait until the crisis, you've already waited too late. And you're getting that crisis, you'll get in that moment, you'll say, I can either follow the Lord or I can take the easy path over here. And guess what decision you'll make? You'll go the easy path to avoid suffering. But you have to decide each and every day, I'm going to sanctify Christ as Lord in my heart. I'm going to follow Him Next, it gives us another suggestion in the text. In verse 15, it says, Be ready to give an account, to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. As you respond to the assault of this world, as you respond to those who would persecute you and do you harm, as you respond joyfully, and as you respond, it'll respond in obedience, they're going to begin to ask you, how is it you think it's worth it to claim that Christ is your Lord and you will follow Him even though we are going to come after you for it? How is it that you're willing to be ostracized? How, how, about, how, 
you know, maybe he's thinking, why are you willing to let your Facebook account get locked up? And that's what we, I mean, we view suffering as these little things, right? Oh man, they, they shut down my Facebook for a couple of days. But listen, when you are faithful with your life, people begin to ask questions about it. And so this tells you, you need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. And I hope that if I came around and asked each of you, as you go through life and you have this hope, what is it? What is it you believe? Is it not the salvation of God? Is it not that there's a good God sitting on the throne, reigning over the universe, and He sees you? And He knows you even in the suffering. And you are blessed by Him even in that. And that there is a promise that you have, that you have an inheritance laid up for you in heaven. Is it not that He has rescued me and made me a new creature, that I am His and He is mine? Isn't that the hope that I have? That I will live for Him and He will raise me up with Him on the last day. That's the hope and the assurance we have. We share the gospel even with those that persecute us. Even with those that would do us harm. We tell them, this is why I can have joy. Because this life isn't all there is. There's more to it. And I think that all of us can declare that. Anything I just said, was that like a complicated, some kind of message of, of well, you got to, you got to go get a seminary degree to say anything that I just said? No. And you could say, most of you could say a lot better than I just did. But listen, it tells us, be ready. Make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. But notice what it says, though. You do it, you give that account with gentleness and reverence or fear. In other words, you respect the people you're talking with. And you respond to them with gentleness. So in the coming months, there's one thing that I know as a church we have to do. We have to canvas this neighborhood. We have to get our materials together. We've got to go out to the doors. We've got to knock on them. We've got to mail things. We've got to go talk to people and tell them about Christ. How do you think they're going to like that? Some of them are going to think it's great. Because I guarantee you there are some Christians living around here that have been out of church for a while and just need encouragement. I guarantee it. Others might be downright argumentative about it. And we get in all kind of questions, even ourselves these days, is it appropriate to knock on doors? Culturally, it's, it's getting kind of hard, isn't it? There's, I don't like it when people come to my door. I, I, somebody knocks on the door, to, especially if it's a weird time, and I think, who is it? Instantly, your blood pressure's up. Oh, not to be that way, but it is. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, a couple, about a month ago, I had somebody knock on my door at 6 o'clock in the morning. And uh, I tell you what, when that happens, you, your blood does get going a little bit. And you start thinking, something must be terribly wrong. And it turned out the guy was out of gas and needed help. I helped him, and I went back to bed. But listen, we have to look at this. We have to think in the coming months, we have to go to the lost. We have to go to this community, at the very least, to invite them to church. Some of them won't like it. Some of them are going to ask why you're doing it. Let me ask you this. Do you have an answer for the hope that is in you? When they ask you, why are you coming around and doing this? 
And some of them will wonder, listen, you're going to get blasted. You got blasted by that person over there who thinks you're a bigot and a terrible, lousy person. Why would you be willing to put yourself through this to come out and invite us to church and tell us about Jesus? Why in the world would you do that? Do you have an answer? It says to tell them with gentleness and respect that we're making an appeal as God's ambassadors, as his representatives. We're to go to them and say, listen, this isn't about anger. When they insult you, are we supposed to insult them back? We're not. According to this, as we've been studying, we don't return evil for evil or insult for insult. And that's where it gets hard, isn't it? When somebody comes up to you, Miss Donna's is shaking it. She's nodding. Listen, when somebody comes up to you and they insult you, there's just something ingrained in us. It's natural response, I think, is to just respond right back. We want to smart off. How many times when you were a kid, did an adult say something to you and you smarted off and then you paid the price? You might have just done it one time because of that. But listen, when when people, when we go out in this community... And we interact with the lost. Some of them will not respond kindly to us. How are we going to answer them? According to this text, with gentleness and reverence. Even if they're the ones giving us a hard time. You know, I've noticed something today. If a church does, says anything political, and a young person or an activist kind of person sees it, they call the IRS and report them and try to get their tax exemption taken away and I wonder sometimes with that how would I respond to the person that did something like that not I'm not talking about politics out here but I'm just thinking if somebody just was out just just to cause trouble for causing trouble could I give them an answer to the hope that I have with gentleness and reverence I hope that I could but I also hope that I give them that answer you see there's a difference between being bold we can be bold And we can explain the gospel. We can stick to the message rather than return insult for insult. And I think we have to be careful with that. But we have to decide before that event happens that that's what we'll do. Next in the text, verse 16, it says, Keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. So we have to sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts. We have to be ready to give an answer to those who ask us. And then we have to keep a good conscience. In other words, if they're out there calling us bigots and racists and who knows what other thing, if they're insulting us and saying all sorts of things, don't let it be true. That's what it's telling us. Listen, you have to watch your behavior so that if they revile us, in the end, they will be ashamed when they see your good behavior. That gentle answer goes a long way. Because you know what? When you respond to someone, the rest of the community, they're not listening. They're watching you. They might not, or they will listen to how you speak to as much as what you say. And so we have to be careful there. Keep a good conscience. Let's follow him. We are God's ambassadors. And guys, unfortunately, we know that there are plenty of churches and plenty of Christians that have already kind of put us in a hole. We've seen sexual abuse scandals. We've seen all kind of different scandals out there that the, the world at large looks at it and goes, yeah, all the Christians are that way. But we know that's not true, and we better make sure it's not true for us. And so 
uh, I want to encourage you to live in obedience, not just where persecution is concerned, but in all our behavior. We live according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. By the way, just as a plug, tonight at uh, 6 o'clock, we do have an evening service, and we're talking about anger tonight. And so I encourage you, you want to talk about dealing with anger? Come out. We're going to be that, looking at that in Ephesians chapter 4, and so I encourage you to do so. In, back in 1 Peter 3, verse 17 says, It is better, if God should will it, that you suffer for doing what is right, rather than for doing what is wrong. A couple things here. One, God allows us to go through suffering. Do you see that? It says, it's better if God should will it that you go through this suffering for doing what's right rather than doing what is wrong. If you suffer as a criminal, according to this text and according to other places in the Scripture, so be it. In other words, if you are a thief and you get caught, you deserve the punishment, right? So that's what this is telling us. Listen, don't suffer as a criminal. Don't actually commit the sin that, they're, that they are accusing you of. If you must suffer at the hands of this world, suffer for doing what is right. Go back to our thought of the government, right? We don't want to suffer just because we're lousy citizens of the United States, right? If we suffer, we want to be because we had to stand up for what was right. We want to suffer because we just chose to live righteously instead of listening to the world. Notice again, it says, if God should will it. God knows when we are persecuted. He knows when we suffer. He knows when we're sick. He knows when we are distressed. He knows when we are uh, just brought to our lowest points in life. He knows on those days we just want to give up. And the truth is, the only way I can see us avoiding it in this fallen world is for him to take us home. You ever wondered that? Why doesn't God, somebody gets saved, they get baptized, and then God just takes them home? Wouldn't that be nice sometimes? Step into eternity with him? But that's not his plan. That's not how this world works. It says here, we are blessed even in suffering so don't give up. Do not be ashamed. We have the example of Christ in verse 18. He also, he himself suffered for the unjust and the ungodly. Namely, Christ came and he suffered for you and me. And we are to follow his example of obedience, to be faithful even when it's hard. I want to read a few more verses to you. If you turn over to 1 Peter chapter 4, look at verse 12. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because, of the, spirit, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Then it goes into what we just talked about. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer. But if you suffer as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in his name. You see this, it says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. Fiery ordeal doesn't sound good, does it? How many of us in this church have ever lived through a fiery ordeal? I'll be honest, most of us. Most of us haven't 
as a church, right? We don't live in a, a country where uh, they're just coming to get us. I was reading some statistics this week from uh, Nigeria and other places around the world where Christians are dying every hour, specifically because they named the name of Christ. And I almost read some of the stories this morning and decided not to. But listen, don't be surprised when suffering or affliction comes on you. It's not strange. It doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. The problem is when we teach people that God wants them to be happy, that he will smooth everything out for them, and it, it isn't true. And so then when hardship comes and suffering comes, their first thought is, maybe God doesn't love me. And then their next thought is, maybe God isn't real because he can't deliver me out of this. But this verse tells us, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. It says there it comes upon you for your testing. That's the thought of testing precious metals to get out impurities. We go through some of these things. It says it's not as though something strange were happening to you. Every one of us, if we live long enough, will go through suffering. It says, but to the degree you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Now I admit for me, the thought of suffering for my faith sounds a lot easier. It's when I don't understand the suffering that it gets really hard. In other words, if someone says, you're going to prison for 30 days because you preached out of that book, well, I'm going to preach out of the book and see you in 30 days. I'll probably even rejoice while I do it, at least the first time. But then you just think about the suffering that we go through in life. Sicknesses, cancer, those things that just they get you the loss of our loved ones. We still aren't surprised because we all go through it. And we know that even in those moments, God has not abandoned us. He still loves us and cares for us. When trials, persecution, affliction, suffering, sickness, depression... Or despair hits people that don't believe in this. They give up. But we remember that we're sharing the sufferings of Christ. The world hated him. It hates us too. And Jesus warned us about that. So keep on rejoicing because you're found in him. One last verse. And then I'll close this down. Actually, two more. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8-10. through 10. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I want you to hear that. He tells them, be ready, be alert, because you have an adversary and we have an adversary. It says the devil is prowling around like a lion, seeking someone to, to devour, to destroy. But we are to resist him and know that the suffering that we go through, the trials that we go through, the persecution that we may go through is happening by our brothers and sisters all across this world right now. And in those moments, God always proves himself to be faithful. We don't have to fear the devil we don't have to fear suffering. Verse 10 says, After we suffer a little while, the God of grace who called you to this eternal glory in Christ 
will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And I wonder, I mean, what does he mean a little while, right? Suffering can last a long time. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, Momentary light affliction, momentary light affliction, in which case he's just been dragged out of town, stoned, left for dead. Momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You see, as we go through life, as we go through this, we forget that there is a life to come. That this world is not all there is. That this world will be burned up as though by fire. Be renewed and restored. That there will be a new heaven and a new earth. That we will step out of this time into eternity. That there is all the, the time in the world. All the time not in this world, perhaps, I should say. That there's something better to come. And he reminds them of that. This light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. But we lose sight of it because we only see what's in front of us. And we forget to look beyond the veil of death, to know that Christ is waiting on the other side to pick us back up. That He's weeping with us when we weep and rejoicing with us when we rejoice. And He's waiting and want the day's coming when we will step into eternity and that glory is beyond all comparison. 1 Peter 4.19 and we'll close. Therefore those who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. If we will say, come what may, I will follow Jesus even if it brings suffering on me. If we will say, I will sanctify him as Lord of my heart, no matter the circumstances, then we recognize that this life isn't the end. What matters is that he loves us, has promised to receive us to himself, that this life is temporary, eternal. We entrust our souls to a good and faithful creator who always keeps his promises. If my life ends today, I step into eternity with Jesus. And all the things I thought were hard and the affliction, I'm not denying those things. All the suffering will be over. That this world is temporary. But we lose that perspective sometimes. We're going to go down to our time of invitation. I'm going to pray. But as we come here this morning, maybe, maybe you've been out of fear not talking to your co-workers about Jesus. Maybe out of fear of losing and hurting relationships, you decided, I'm not going to tell my family members. I'm not going to talk about my faith with my family members. I want you to trust all those situations with the Lord. Be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. Some of you are in times of suffering today, maybe this is just a moment when you can seek Him and tell Him, God, I'm going through the ringer. I know you love me. I just want to know you hear me today. God's there and He hears you. Pray with me. 
Father, we live in a fallen world and we know it. And sometimes we feel the effects of it. God, I pray that even as we go through this life, you would help us to trust you even in suffering. And Father, I confess to you that I've seen the deepest joy in those that have gone through the deepest suffering. And Father, I don't understand it, but you do. And you bless us and you walk with us. And, and Father, I think of Stephen dying and as he was being stoned after witnessing and telling others about you. It said Jesus was standing at your right hand watching, that he was alert, that Jesus was aware he didn't abandon Stephen, and you don't abandon us. Father, in the days to come, at this church, God, I pray that even in suffering, we would trust you. And as we canvas this neighborhood, as we tell others about Christ here in Forest Heights community, Father, I pray that we'd always be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. Father, I pray that we'd do it with gentleness. God, I pray that you'd help us to respond to others with gentleness and respect, not returning insult for insult or evil for evil. But God, help us keep our eyes on you. Help us entrust our souls today to a good and faithful creator. To you, Father, help us see beyond the veil of death into eternity. That whatever we go through now, Father, is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond anything that we could imagine. Father, we bless your name just as you've blessed us. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.